We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Thursday, February something. What is it, February 8th now? And I'm at the special location here, the new Irish Breakdown special location. It's going to be new, but it's going to be temporary for the next about five weeks. I'm going to be doing most of the shows from here. And today's show is going to be talking about the Notre Dame defensive line, and we're going to do some 2024 class superlatives. And then I'm going to dive into a mailbag. That's the show for now. I'm going to be back later tonight at 6 o'clock. I'm going to be part of the Ivy Nation Sports Talk show. We're going to have some, some certainly some topics to discuss tonight. So we will have two shows today. I'm going to be on part of both of them. I'll have Sean Davis with me on the show tonight. And we will talk about uh, whatever recruiting news may happen between now and the end of the show. But today, as I said, I'm going to do a team topic and then a recruiting topic. Yesterday was National Signing Day. So uh, it was very boring, anticlimactic National Signing Day for everyone. I mean, we can get into if you all care to ask questions about what I think they should do to fix it. There was one question about it. We can get into that. But I want to kind of hand out some some class superlatives, and then I'm also going to rank the position groups 
uh, in the 2024 class. But we're going to begin talking about the, the Notre Dame defensive line. It'll be just a continuation of our offseason overview of the Notre Dame defense, excuse me, defensive line, Notre Dame defensive line. And obviously, as of right now, there's some news out there that uh, Football Scoop, I believe, reported that that uh, Boston College is down to two candidates for the head coaching job, Bill O'Brien being one, who's the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, and then Al Washington being the other. For those of you wondering why Al Washington would be a candidate for that, obviously one thing to keep in mind is he is a BC alum and is someone well-regarded as an up-and-coming young coach. So uh, whether or not he gets the job, we'll find out. Will he be considered for the D coordinator job if he does not get, if he does get it, does not get the head coaching job? We will find out. So we will we will kind of see how all that stuff goes and uh, over the next couple weeks. But as of now, Al Washington is still the defensive line coach in Notre Dame, so we will – have this show kind of discuss this show accordingly. And if it no longer the case, then we'll have that conversation at the time. So let's dive into part one of today's show. And that is going to be sort of an off season overview of the Notre Dame defensive line. You know, we've talked a lot about the Notre Dame defensive line or the Notre Dame position team going into 2024. And this is going to kind of continue that off season overview did wide receivers on Tuesday. We've done quarterbacks. We've done linebackers. And today I want to talk about the defensive line. I, I would I would contend that the defensive line coming into 2024 is probably the the most known commodity on the Notre Dame football team, and when you look at it from the standpoint of just proven players, proven production, newcomers coming in, um, just. The overall, just what is expected of this unit, I don't know that there's a more established group than the defensive line. And I think sometimes it can kind of mirror what I think can be a very interesting conversation about this unit. And the biggest question that I have about the defensive line when I look at it is, I mean, there's there's an expectation for me that this group at the very least is just going to repeat what they did last year, there won't be a drop-off. And that's fine. That's good. The defensive line was very good last season. But to me, I think there's another level that this unit needs to get to. And even more importantly, there's another level this unit can get to, in my opinion. When you look at just, can they be more disruptive? Can they be more productive? Can they be more consistent? Can they play better in, in some of these, uh, you know, big games and things along those lines. And, and so when I look at this group, I say, I do believe this unit can get better. And I think it needs to get better because what's the standard we're talking about? They were, they were good enough to be a top 10 defense this past season with the D line being a big part of that. But there's another level that I think they need to get to if the defense is going to be the driver of a championship. So in my opinion, the 2023 defense was good enough to be part of a championship football team. The offense was not. What was not the case, however, in 2023, was that the defense was good enough to really raise the bar by everybody else and carry Notre Dame sort of to that next level as a football team. And I, and I think they're capable of getting closer to that. Can they be that fully like a Georgia 2021? I don't know that they can get to that, but I think there's another level of play. And that's the thing that we're going to find out if they can get to that. 
because they lost some very important pieces. They have a lot coming back, and they have some very talented newcomers. And so this unit's going to look a little bit different this year. And so we're going to find out how good it can be and, and all those aspects of it as we dive into the breakdown of the defensive line. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. So as we begin all these breakdowns, the first thing that we'll look look at uh, when breaking down the Notre Dame defensive line is first and foremost, what did they lose? And, and I do think this is important. It's important to focus on what was lost when you're talking about what the expectations are of a, of a football, of a unit on a football team and, and what, you know, what it's going to look like and, and, and what they lost is an important thing. And as you look at what was lost, Notre Dame didn't lose a lot from a number standpoint. There's only two players from the rotation last year that are, are permanently lost to the football team. Now, Gabriel Rubio's situation is up in the air. And so right now you can consider him a loss because he's not with the team right now. And while the expectation is that he will return to the team, I think it's fair to question, you know, look, that's fine. That's the expectation. But clearly there's something to cause him to not be with the team. And will that get rectified? We don't know the answer to that. And, and so clearly that has to at least be taken into account as potential loss. And that would be a loss. But what we know for a fact is lost right now is the two defensive ends. So just a reminder as what Notre Dame calls their defensive line, it's it's the two ends are a defensive end 
and the Viper. It's not the big end, the field end. We've called it that in the past, but they just call it defensive end. Field end, big end kind of helps us separate it, but that's what that position is. And they lost both of their top two guys from that position this past season when they lost Javante Jean-Baptiste, who basically exhausted his eligibility. He was a sixth-year senior this past year, was a really excellent pickup for Notre Dame, came in from Ohio State last year, didn't really know what to expect. He was mostly a, a, a reserve at Ohio State, you know, played some, some decent amount of snaps in his career, but was never a guy that was counted on to be the guy at Ohio State. Came to Notre Dame. Is he going to play Viper? Is he going to play End? What's he going to play? They recruited him to play End. How good can he be? Okay, we thought he was going to be a worse passer. Could he play the run? And he did both very, very well this season. He was a, a tremendous pickup for Notre Dame. Uh, such a revelation for Notre Dame. And and really just uh, you wonder how good could Notre Dame – would it, could they have been as good as they were in 2023 – if he doesn't come and uh, to, 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 you know, to the program. And and so I, I don't know that they could have been, he was a, a very welcome addition. As you see the numbers, 49 tackles, 10 and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, lots of other pressures on top of that. It wasn't just the total sack numbers, as I've told y'all before, it's about, it's about overall pressures. And what's, you know, when you look at the pro football focus numbers this past season for pressures, Javante Jean-Baptiste this year was second on the team with pressures with 38. He had 16 hits on the quarterback. That's more than what Isaiah Foskey did in the year before. I mean, Isaiah Foskey in 2022 had 33 pressures and 15 hits on the quarterback on 311 pass rushes. And in 2021, Isaiah Foskey had 32 pressures and 15 hits on the quarterback. So in 2023, uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste comes in, has five total five fewer pressure or you know pass rushes than was Isaiah Foskey had last season and had more pressures and was able to go out this season and and really be an impactful player for Notre Dame. Also had more hits on the quarterback than what Isaiah Foskey had last year. And and he was certainly certainly he'll be missed. But it wasn't just him. The the they got great production from the defensive end position all year because Nana Osafa Mensa played the same position. They were part of a rotation. And when you add their numbers together, you got 69 tackles, 16 tackles for loss, and eight sacks from that field end position. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Javante Jean-Baptiste this past season had 38 pressures. Nana had eight, so he had 46 more quarterback pressures from that position. And so you had a lot, a lot of production from the defensive end position. And you're going to have to fill that with mostly guys, well, entirely – with either unproven players, guys that are making a position switch, and newcomers. And so it, it leaves that position going into this offseason as a, certainly a question mark for Notre Dame. Let's talk about what returns, because this is the part where you can kind of get a little bit fired up if you're if you're a Notre Dame fan, like, like I am and like all of you are, is there is a lot coming back, and it starts up the middle. You know, we I've said for years on this show, to be an elite defense, you've got to be great up the middle. All three levels, the interior defensive line, line, inside linebackers and safeties. And last year, Notre Dame was really, really good on the first two levels and had an All-American on the third level and was steady at the other safety position. So Notre Dame was a really good team right up the middle last year. And when you look at what returns, there's a chance that the entire interior depth chart comes back. Obviously, I mentioned earlier with, with Gabriel Rubio not part of the team this spring, not in school this spring. There are question marks about him, but the rest of it comes back. You had Howard Cross last season. 
who was one of the most productive interior defensive players in the, or defensive tackles in the country from a tackle standpoint, was a second-team All-American last year by multiple outlets, 66 tackles, seven tackles for loss. He had two sacks last season, led the Notre Dame defense with 39 total pressures and eight total hits in the quarterback, which is sacks plus hits, which is a very good number on 341 pass rushes. And then there's Riley Mills. Who did not get the who did not have the overall production in in as as Howard Cross, but he also played quite a bit fewer snaps than Howard Cross played this season. He had six hundred Howard Cross had six hundred ten snaps. Riley had five hundred thirty five snaps. Uh, Howard Cross also had about eighty three more total pass rushes, which will matter here coming up here in a second when I when I put some of these numbers in context. But Riley Mills also productive last season. His first is a three technique, full-time three technique, 47 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, as you can see there. Riley also was third on the team in pressures with 32. So he was only seven pressures behind Howard Cross, as I mentioned, on 83 fewer pass rush opportunities. Howard had eight total hits on a quarterback. That's sacks plus hits. Riley had 12. Riley was second on the team with 12 hits on the quarterback. So very productive player for Notre Dame this season uh, was Riley Mills. He was also fifth on the team in total runs and total stops uh, against the run. Also, again, on, on fewer snaps than some of the other guys that were, were in part of that as well. So very, very productive season for, for Riley Mills. Often gets overlooked, in my opinion, by some Notre Dame fans. I don't understand quite why that is. But I think part of it for me, it, it, when I want to talk about Riley Mills, is he had so many opportunities to have even more production that he wasn't able to make those plays. He's got to start to finish on some of those plays, and I think you'll see his production go up, and maybe some fans will, will finally start to appreciate how good he was for Notre Dame last year. But here's the thing. It's not about who's better, Howard or Riley. It doesn't matter. They're part of the same defensive line. And the fact is, as a duo, they were really good last season. And obviously Howard had the success he had. Riley had the success he had. And what I liked about Howard, too, is Howard and Javante Jean-Baptiste were two guys that tended to have some of their biggest and best moments in the biggest and uh, biggest games and biggest moments. And you always want to look for that. And, and so to me, that one-two punch right up there, right up the middle is really, really good for Notre Dame. Let's talk more about what returns for Notre Dame next season. Obviously, you also return your starting Viper. And Jordan Patel, who had, let's be honest, a disappointing season. We, we can be honest about that. 32 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. When you consider that the previous season, Isaiah Foskey alone had what, 14 tackles for loss, 11 sacks by himself. That doesn't include the production that Jordan Patojo had at, at Viper. It doesn't include the production that Justin Adam Yola produced at Viper. There was a huge drop off this season in production at the Viper position, which I'll get into here in, in a little bit. But when you talk about what returns, you do bring back Jordan Batajo and you bring back your entire Viper depth chart to the point that Notre Dame feels good enough about that position that they're now going to move Josh Burnham over to the defensive end position and give him a chance to battle for a starting job there and at the very least be a key member of the of the one-two punch at that defensive end position. So he'll either be tasked with replacing Javante Jean-Baptiste or he'll be tasked with replacing Nana. Either way, it's an important spot for him. And he's going to have to step up, step up. But Notre Dame also returns a lot of depth. You've got Junior Tuilamaka, as I mentioned, I already talked about Josh Burnham, Junior Tuilamaka at Viper. You've got Jason Onye at, at uh, defensive tackle, nose tackle. You've got Bubakar Traore at Viper. You've got Dinan Van Heinish at, at on the on the interior of Tyson Ford. I don't know where he's going to play yet. Is he going to be at field end? 
Is he going to be a three technique? I don't know. You've got Armel Mukum, who's a guy that has a very high upside. You've got Devin Houston, a guy that I'm very excited about, uh, who has a chance to be a very good player. I just ran out of room to list all. I mean, that's what's kind of funny. I put more because it's like, guys, I don't have enough room on this sheet to put all the guys that are coming back for Notre Dame on the defensive line this year that are good football players. I mean, two of the guys I didn't I didn't list. Uh, Devin Houston and Armel Mukum. if you go back and look at what I said about those guys last year when they signed with Notre Dame, you're thinking like, boy, the two guys you didn't mention were, were two guys that were pretty highly ranked recruits for you the year before. And the answer is, yeah, that says a lot about, about how much I think of this group. When you look at where I ranked last year, my, my overall players, uh, Devin Houston is the number five player in the defensive class. Armel Mukum was a little bit lower for me because he was kind of raw, but Armel was number two. And the upside category for me, I had Devin Houston graded out as a top 150 caliber football players last year with a four and a half star upside grade. I graded Armel out as a top 200 to 250 caliber prospect last year with five star upside. And those are the two guys I didn't even have enough room to mention when you look at, at what's returning on the defensive line. And I didn't also didn't mention Brennan Vernon, another sophomore, uh, rising sophomore that I didn't mention this year. And, and Brennan's a guy that when you look at him, the reason I'm kind of talking about him last is, and he's a guy that I also ranked as a, as a four, a top 150 player last year, because Brennan right now, I think there's still some questions about where's he going to end up much like Tyson Ford. Does he play at state defensive end? Do they move him inside? I think Brennan's going to eventually move inside is, is kind of my guess. But at the same time, you've got to ask yourself, well, you're, you're moving a lot of these guys inside. You know, there's potentially, you're potentially moving Tyson Ford inside. There's potential moving Brennan Vernon inside. Well, who's going to play that defensive end position? Is it just, you know, the newcomers and Burnham? That's a good question. And that's something that remains a question mark as we as we look at this position group going into the spring into the spring is who's going to play where? And that's something that I'll get into. Let's continue, obviously, with this overview of the Notre Dame defensive line and talk about what's new because there's obviously some new players on the Notre Dame defensive line this season. Notre Dame welcomes a tree, they got a transfer up front. And R.J. Oban, who came from Duke, uh, claimed the fame last year for, for me and Notre Dame fans is he has only got to get a sack against Joe Walt last year. Some extenuating circumstances, but he did. And he's been a very consistent player for Duke the last year. Never had that breakout season for Duke, but he's just been a consistently good part of that rotation. Uh, this past season, R.J. had 27 total pressures, 13 hits on the quarterback, which would have ranked him, I believe, second or third on the Notre Dame defense. Uh, last year had five pressures against Clemson, including four hits on the quarterback uh, last season. And, uh, you know, he's done a lot of good things for Duke. He's been a very steady player. You can see his career numbers there in the breakdown. He's got 63 career tackles, 18 and a half career tackles for loss, and 13 and a half career sacks. So RJ has been a very steady, very consistent player for Duke. Uh, during his during his entire career. And he's going to have a new look number. I believe he's going to be number nine this year, I believe, for Notre Dame is what we saw. He was like 92 for Duke in the past. 94 is what he was for Duke in the past, but he's going to have a, a single-digit number this year. He's going to be one of the players battling at the at the defensive end position. Another player that's going to be uh, – he's going to be battling with uh, Josh Burnham, as I talked about is a potential breakout player. And we'll talk a little bit more about Josh here in a little bit when I get into some of the questions about this uh, this position group moving forward. Also new to the Notre Dame defensive line is Bryce Young, who is one of the, high, the most highly ranked players in the class. He, I believe he was 247 sports, had him as the number one ranked player in the class. 
He is my number five overall player in the class. He is my number two player on defense, but he has a ceiling as high as just about anybody that Notre Dame signed. And, and just look at the numbers. I mean, you're talking about a kid that still has not tapped in his full potential. And as a senior against pretty good competition, Bryce had 97 tackles, 33 tackles for loss, and 14 sacks. And so when you look at the d- defensive end position and, and you also talk about other newcomers, Logan Thomas, Cole Mullen, Sean Savoyano Jr. When you talk about the defensive end position, though, which to me is is a very big question mark for Notre Dame, yes, they lost a lot of production from last year. But one thing that I'll say, and I'm curious what you in the chat think and what you listening on the podcast think, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. But to me, uh, I think that the thing that you can say is, I don't know how good this group is going to be in 2024. I don't know what the production level they're going to provide is. I mean, I'm not a fortune teller. I can't see into the future. But what I can do is I can say this and say this pretty confidently. This is going to be a far more athletic and talented defensive end position for Notre Dame this year. Just took looking at that field end position, that defensive end position. You know, you, you were Javante, Jean-Baptiste, and R.J. Oven, very similar players. I would argue that R.J. is a little bit more explosive than Javante is. You re- you're talking about replacing Nana Osafa Mensa with Josh Burnham, who's certainly a more explosive, longer, rangier athlete. And then you add Bryce Young to the mix, and you start talking about a, a group of one, two, three at that position of, of guys that we know right now they're going to play that position that are long, tall, and explosive athletes. And among that group, RJ Oban to me would be number three on that list. He beat the bottom of the list from a pure athleticism standpoint. Uh, and, and he's a good football player. And, you know, Ryan's talked about this in the past. The thought was he was going to go to the NFL, not come to their name for a sixth season. And so when he jumped in the portal, that was obviously big for their name. They got all over him in a hurry. Florida straight, Florida state tried to, to take a run at him as well. Notre Dame was able to beat them for uh, RJ Oban, but you know, that's the thing that's exciting is, and this is what good programs have to do. You lose two really good football players from a position in Javante Jean-Baptiste and and Nano Safamensa, very productive players. I mean, let, let's look at the numbers again. You guys see it right here on the chart, right? 69 tackles from those two guys, 16 tackles for loss from those two guys, and eight sacks from those two guys at that defensive end position. Excellent players and, and, and great team players. You know, Javante came in, put his head down, put in the work, was a great teammate. Nana was one of the leaders of the team, wasn't a captain, but was one of the recognized leaders of the team. And to me, leadership is more important than having a C on your chest. If you can provide leadership, whether you have the C on your chest or you're not, you're making an impact. Nana certainly did that for Notre Dame last year. So those are big shoes to fill. And the fact that you're able to fill them, to me, with one of your best pound-for-pound athletes that you have coming back on your defensive line, if not your entire team, and Josh Burnham, you go out and get a newcomer like R.J. Oban, who's going to come in with experience and proven production ability and all those type of things. And then you're able to add one of the best defensive ends in the entire country out of the high school ranks in Bryce Young. You start to get excited. There's some other options at that position as well. When you look at potentially Tyson Ford, you look at potentially Brennan Vernon, uh, potentially Aiden Gobira. That's another guy that I did not have listed there as far as just not having room. Aiden Gobira is another player that I didn't mention. So that's the thing is, is there's so many numbers. And so what does all that mean? You know, look, there's a lot of bodies. Here, here's what it means for me. 
to me, I, I value experience at certain positions and I don't, I don't care as much. I always value experience, but it's required and, and more beneficial at some positions than it is for others. And to me, when I look at the Notre Dame defensive line, it's a far more experienced unit than it was a year ago. Jordan Patejo now has a year as a starter under his belt. Riley Mills has a year as an interior player under his belt. You look at Howard Cross has now emerged as a, a legitimate playmaker at the position. He was a guy like, you know, what's he going to be? How many snaps can he play? What really can, can he be next season? We didn't really know the answer to that. Josh Burnham was a toolsy kid. We didn't really know what he could do as a defensive lineman. He never really played defensive line until he came to Notre Dame. We saw him show flash of what he can be. Now, he has a whole year under his belt. Junior Tuilamaka has a whole year under his belt. Jason Onye was a toolsy player that we always thought he had upside, but we'd never seen him really play any meaningful downs. He stepped in and was a, a, a solid rotation player last year. Donovan Heinish stepped into the rotation last year and, and emerged. So there was talent last year, but it was a group that largely didn't have a ton of experience or experience playing at the positions that Notre Dame was going to ask them to play. Fast forward to a year later, as you evaluate this position group, far more experienced player, and you've added a sixth-year senior who's basically been a three-year starter at a Power 5 school in R.J. Oban. You This season, I believe, you're going to see an uptick in size. Obviously, the more the longer guys are in school, they the bigger they tend to get. You've added R.J. Oban into the mix, who is, to me, going to be a little bit heavier than what Javante Jean-Baptiste was. You're going to add Bryce Young to the mix, who's a lot longer. So when I talk about size, it's not just 300-plus pounds. It's also great length. And that could have been a concern because Javante had very, very good length. But you're adding length to this group. You're going to have a group that's athletic. That's another thing is this is one of the bigger D-lines Notre Dame is going to have had in recent seasons just across the board, uh, starting and depth. You're talking about a group that's – I mean, Howard Cross is your really only true, quote-unquote, undersized player amongst this group. But you're going to be very athletic it's going to be your deepest group from an athleticism standpoint. And because there's now proven playmaking ability, start to get really excited about what this group can be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think to me, when you can combine experience, depth, and, and just athleticism at a position group, the way that Notre Dame plays, you can understand why I'm excited about this defensive line. And to me, when you think about what do you want in a D-line, what 
what traits would you, if you could kind of build the perfect defensive line, what traits would you want? And I think Notre Dame has three of the four that most people would say. Do you have proven experience across the board, starters in depth? Yes. So great, lots of experience, lots of depth. That's number one. Do you have, well, actually, the, the experience is number one. Great depth is number two. Do you have second-level players that you can put on the field and expect them to make plays? Yes, you do. When you put Jason Onye on the field, Donovan Heinisch, Tyson Ford, Devin Hewson, Armo Mukum, and hopefully Gabriel Rubio, those are all guys that can, can be playmakers for you in those roles. There's several guys with starting potential down the road at those positions, and we're not even getting to the young players. When you talk about the edge position, you know whether it's R.J. Opens, the number two field end, whether it's Josh Burnham, who's the number two field end, you're talking about having a very, guy who's a very long, athletic player, plus you have Bryce Young. The only position right now that I have question marks about the depth is the Viper position. With Jordan Patelho, Junior Tulamaka did not show me a whole lot last year. Only had 10 tackles, no tackles for loss, no sacks. Often looked kind of lost at that position, in my opinion. Was not a guy to me that looked comfortable playing on the edge for Notre Dame last season. But here's the thing about it. It was his first year really being a full-time defensive end. Now Junior has a year under his belt. He has another year to kind of get used to playing at that weight. He has another year to get used to playing with the technique needed uh, to thrive at that position. And so my expectation is, is that you'll see Junior have a nice little jump when you look at this season as far as being a depth guy. But then you've got also Bubakar Traore. If Junior doesn't take a jump, Bubakar's waiting in the wings, and Bubakar may just push his way onto the, onto the field to begin with. I mentioned earlier that when I looked at the 2023 recruiting class, that Bubakar was my number two upside player, highest ceiling. My number one, Armo Mukum was number two. My number one is Bubakar Traore. Uh, he's a guy that just, he was raw. You didn't know what he was going to be, where was he going to play, but you just knew if this kid pans out, he's got big time potential. And now you're also adding Bryce Young to the mix, who has, in my opinion, even more. And so to me, there's there's question marks at that Viper position, which I'll get into, but there's there's experience, there's great depth, and then number three, you want talent. You don't just want a bunch of try-hard guys. It's great to have try-hard guys, but you've got legit day one, day two potential talent, especially in the younger group. I think Riley Mills is probably the only veteran that I look at as a potential day two guy, if he can put it all together, but you've got a lot of that in the younger groups with Josh Burnham and, and, and Buba Carr and Armo Mukum and Devin Houston and Bryce Young coming in and Logan Thomas coming in, who's probably gonna need some time. But there's a lot of talent and athleticism there too. And then the fourth thing that you could, you could have, if you could design just the ideal off defensive line in a lab is size. Now, I think this Notre Dame group has half of what people would consider what their wants are for size, which is great length. It's a lot of really long players in the D-line. What this line doesn't have, if we're being honest about it, is it doesn't have a lot of beef. When you think of a traditional, you know, big-time defensive line, you know, Riley Mills is 300 pounds, Howard Cross is only 288. Your starting uh, Viper is going to be hopefully only 255. Your other two ends players are going to be in the 250 range. So there's there you're not a massive defensive line from a weight standpoint. You know, Onye sub 300. You've got um, 
Rubio's over 300, but you know, Mukum's under 300. Heinish is under 300. Brennan Vernon's going to be under 300. Other guys are going to be under 300. And so to me, I just think all those guys are, are players that you look at and say, there's a, a lot of ability there, even though there's not great size. And so those are aspects of it that, um, that have me kind of fired up uh, about what this group can be for this 2024 season. And so let's get into this last part about what are some of the question marks and then whether or not this group is uh, an expected strength or not. Let's get into the final question mark. Who of, of the questions about this unit? Number one, who plays where? Talked about that earlier. Who's going to be the field end? Who's going to, from, from a depth standpoint, we know that's where RJ is going to be. We know that Josh Burnham's going to be there. Who else is going to be there? Where's Tyson Ford going to play? Where is Don Mahayish going to play? Nose or three technique. Where is Brennan Vernon going to play? Do we, if, if certain guys step up at the field end position, let's say that Bryce Young comes in ready to play. Let's say that Brennan Vernon or Tyson Ford or Nathan Goldbier or somebody along those lines really steps up and plays really well at the field end position and the Viper players don't have a big jump over there. Is there a chance that we maybe see one of the current field ends move back over to Viper? Could we see Josh Burnham go back? Could we see RJ Oban play some there? I think he can. I think RJ is a player that could do some of the things that Viper can do. Uh, you know, so those are aspects of it that that I really am looking forward to seeing about who plays where. And are we going to see more interchangeableness this year maybe than we saw last year? Are there some situations where uh, you've got the field end and the Viper are both guys that are on the two deep considered defensive ends? Could we see situations where Oban and Burnham are both on the field together? Those are things that I think we might be able to see. So I think there's a lot of um, interchangeableness to what this group can be on the defensive line. And so I'm excited to see what this group can be, but I'm also kind of curious to see who is going to play where. Uh, second question I have is, can the D tackles be more productive? That's going to be a big part of, of what is going to determine just how good this D line can be. The D tackles were excellent last year in a lot of ways. They were very, very good players. Were they an elite group? No, they weren't elite. They were very good. Can they be elite? That's the question that I have, right? Is, is you've got a chance to have guys that can put up a lot of production. You have guys that have a chance to be playmakers. You've got a, a chance to have guys that are, that are uh, clutch players for Notre Dame on the inside. But the question is, can they raise their level of play, clutch moments, overall productions? Those are all questions that I that I want to see from this group. And so to me, that's a question about not is it a concern, because I think at the very least they just repeat what they were this past season. For me, the question is more, can they raise their play even more? And if they raise their play even more, then what is the impact that that has on the rest of the, the defense? What kind of impact does that have, especially on the linebackers? And so to me, when I think about the defense and what some of my question marks are, and I, I you know, 
I would imagine a lot of you have the same question is, yes, I think there's good talent on the linebacker position, but there's some big question marks about experience and who's going to be where. One of the things that would take a lot of the burden off of those guys is being able to say, hey, you've got this interior group that is just dominant. Just you guys are just running and playing all game long because they are spending all their time trying to block Riley and and uh, how you know uh, Howard Cross and Jason Onye and Donovan Heinish and you know Armo Mukum or Devin whoever's playing, they're having to spend all their time trying to handle those guys, and then the field ends are a pain in the butt too. And so now, if those guys can raise their level of play inside, that then takes a lot of the pressure off the linebackers and allows them to just float the ball. And those are things that I that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if they can do that because it could have a major major impact on. Uh, this group next question is obviously can they can they repeat the production from the field end position that's a question mark I love the talent I said before I think there's more talent there than there was last year there's more depth there than there was last year especially since Aiden Gobira got hurt in fall in fall camp and he was off to what I thought from what we saw off of a pretty good start I thought Aiden was doing some really nice things for them in fall camp last year he tears his ACL and it was basically Javante and Nana. Now, fortunately, both of those guys stayed healthy all year. So you didn't have to worry about finding somebody else. And, you know, can can you keep that level of health this year? We'll find out. But can they repeat the production? That's the question. If they can repeat that production. And then the final one, and this is to me, um, well, actually, there's two more. But the, the as far as the returners goes, in the, the older players is can Jordan Patejo get back on track or is this just kind of who he is is he just that guy that kind of steps up when it's bowl time and and you look at it and you say hey you know this is a guy that at times goes out and does some really good things for you he's a guy that in you know certain bowl games and in this game and that game game he'll flash but he's just not a guy that can be a consistent playmaker he's just not a guy that's going to take what he did against south carolina or take what he did against the backups against Oregon State and be able to do that week after week after week. Is that who he is? Or is he a guy that has a that has a level where you can say, hey, listen, he was playing Rover, he was playing linebacker, he was playing Viper. That was his first year really playing the whole season as just a Viper, had some areas where he didn't play well. Can Al Washington get him to be that player we saw in flashes all the time? I think that's a big, big question mark because if Jordan Patojo can be the guy we saw against South Carolina, the guy that we saw against Oregon State, the guy that we have seen in flashes at Notre Dame, and you start to get more production from that from that Viper position, and I would throw Junior Tuilamaka into this mix as well because when you look at those two guys last season combined, they only combined for 22 total pressures. That's it. And seven hits on the quarterback. That's it. All season. That's not good production from that position. It really isn't. And and so you're going to – and one guy that I thought did play well at that position was Josh Burnham, but he's not coming back at that position. He'll now be at the field end position. And so you have some major question marks there because if you're going to – if you're going to – you're talking about a, a, a group, a two, a do, two guys – and Jordan and and Junior Tillamaka had 22 pressures. Consider that Isaiah Foskey by himself had over 30 
the year before. And if you look at the top two Vipers from the 2022 season, you had 33 pressures from uh, from Isaiah Foskey. You had 18 from Jordan Batelho. That position provided 51 pressures and 22 hits on the quarterback from your top two guys. Your top two guys coming into this season have only produced 22 and seven. That's a huge drop off. That's the concern. But here's here's kind of the exciting thing for me is number one, if Jordan can just give you like okay, here's like what Notre, some Notre Dame fans think Jordan Bethel can be. Here's basically where Jordan Bethel can be. If he can even just get here, then I think that you you're going to have a much better defensive line because you're going to have something from the Viper position. I mean, guys, there was times last year where the Viper position gave you almost nothing, like just nothing. I mean, it was just it was just kind of out there, and it gave you no playmaking ability, and at times is a liability. And when you think about how good the D line was in that regard, you start to kind of get fired up about what this group can be. And so, uh, to me, I think that's something that that uh, uh, makes me think that this D line could go to a much higher level if that position can improve. And if Jordan doesn't do it, then the next question is, is what young guys step up? And that's the final question I have is who are the young guys to step up either a, because some veterans don't step up or B the veteran, this is ideal. The veterans do step up, but some younger players step up as well. Can Josh Burnham have a breakout season? Can junior to Alamaka raise his game? Can Bubakar become a, a, a legitimate, can he force his way into the rotation? Does a does one of the sophomores like I mentioned Bubakar already? Does one of the other sophomores, Brennan Vernon, um, Armel Mukum, one of those guys, kind of force their way onto the field this season? Do we see a freshman, a Bryce Young, a Logan Thomas, a Cole Mullins, force their way onto the field? Do we see Tyson Ford finally have the light go on? Who's a guy that to me I look at and say, man, if this this this, you know what I mean? And so to me, you start to get really excited about what this. Uh, what this group can be. And I think then that at that point in time, and, and we'll talk about something that's going on in the chat right now that I think needs to be addressed too, in regard to the defensive line is you don't have anyone that is a, by themselves, a dominant, dominant player. And that's something too, that we kind of look at and say, Hey, can this group, can this group be that? Can this group be that, that, that those players were, does anyone, does somebody kind of step up and emerge as that dominant player. And that's a that's another question too and that's where we could even get into some of the veterans stepping up. But I think one of the one of the things that to me gets a little miss gets lost when we're talking about the defensive line because there isn't that individual player is there there can be a misconception about how good the group actually was. And to me, that's something where where and you're even seeing in the chat is somebody said that the defensive line didn't let me let me just find the chat. And it's a it's a fair chat because it, it, there's just a couple of things that I think we're seeing that that I don't I just don't agree with when we're talking about this defensive line. And the question was from Mark uh, Brown. He said not enough elite production on the D line. And then somebody else chimed in with a comment that I also feel was was misguided. And, and uh, Mark Brown said, I agree or we are not Marshall. So I agree too many times pushed around in big moments. I feel the size and talent, make it better, make it a better group this year. Again, I don't, I don't think those are accurate reflections of what the Notre Dame defensive line was in 2023. I think that's a fair representation of what the Notre Dame defensive line has been in past years, but I don't at all think it's a fair representation of what the Notre Dame defensive line was in 2023. 
I, or I think in 2023, the Notre Dame defense was really outstanding. And I've broken this down this earlier this year or earlier this, this uh, off season. And I'll do it again. Last year, Notre Dame, if you look at pro football focus numbers last year, Notre Dame ranked 15th in the country in sacks produced by its defense, 53rd in hits on the quarterback by its defense. They were fifth in all of college football last year with 92 sacks plus hits on the defense. And they were 200 and, with 267 total pressures. They were eighth in all of college football last year in total pressures. If you look at other disruption numbers uh, that they had, they were second in all of college football last year in forced fumbles. If you look at where Notre Dame would rank, if they had as many total snaps as like dropback snaps as other teams, if Notre Dame had as many dropback snaps as Michigan last year, they'd have ranked seventh in sacks, second in hits, second in sacks plus hits, number one in total pressures by almost 20. If they had the same amount of snaps that, that Washington's defense had last year, they would have led the nation in sacks, hits on the quarterback, sacks plus hits by about 30, and they would have led the total pressures by about 120. Same with Alabama. If they had the same number of dropback snaps last year that Alabama had, eighth in sacks, second in hits, second in sacks, uh, sacks, sacks plus hits, first in pressures, same with Texas, third and sacks, first and hits, first and sacks plus hits, first and pressures. If they had the same number, they did have the same number of snaps as Ohio State had last year. And a lot of people tell me Ohio State had a great defense. Notre Dame ranked 15th in sacks. Ohio State was 42nd. Notre Dame ranks third in hits on the quarterback. Ohio State ranked 38th. Notre Dame ranked fifth in sacks plus hits with 92. Ohio State had 62, ranked 43rd. Notre Dame had 267 pressures. Ohio State had 204. Same thing with Georgia. If Notre Dame uh, last season, if Notre Dame had the same number of snaps as Georgia, would have been eighth in sacks, second in, in hits, second in hits plus sacks, first in pressures, same is true against Ohio State or against Florida State. But even with the actual raw number they had, if you look at the eight teams or the seven other teams that were in contention for a championship this year, Michigan, Washington, Bama, Texas, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, Notre Dame was fourth amongst those teams in total sacks. They led all. Uh, all those teams and total hits on the quarterback, they trailed only Florida State in sacks plus hits. They had more than Michigan. By they they had twelve more than Michigan. They had seventeen more than Washington. They had seven more than Bama. Fourteen more than Texas. Thirty more than Ohio State. Thirty five more than Georgia. And they had twelve less than Florida State on sixty five fewer drop back opportunities. So I think Notre Dame was a very disruptive team last year. What Notre Dame did not have is that they did not have that one guy that went out and was dominant. And I think when you look at the play of the defensive line for in particular, I think the defensive line played well in all the big games this year. They played great against Ohio State, in my opinion. They played great against Duke, in my opinion. They played well against Louisville. Not great, but well. You had other issues, and I thought they played pretty well against Clemson. I think Clemson was the one team, the one game that I looked at, and I felt they got pushed around a little bit. That was the one game, but I thought that was more uh, scheme-related you know, to, to me. And so when you talk about I want to see more consistency, Mark, I think we saw that this year. Again, what was the one game where this defensive line went out and just racked up a, a huge number of pressures and sacks to inflate those numbers like we saw in past years? What was the one game that happened? It didn't happen. If you go back and look, if you go look at the per game numbers, Notre Dame did not have a game this year where they went out and just padded their stats with a lot of a lot of hits or a lot of sacks or whatever. Even against Tennessee State, 
you didn't see that from this Notre Dame defense. And so I think the one thing this defense gave us was consistency this season. And and I, I think this group was very consistent. Now, what I what I would say for you, Mark, is um so like we are not Marshall asked, is there data that shows how many times there were borrowed pressure to get to the quarterback versus just, but again, that's not what, why does that matter? That's not what Notre Dame does. That's not who Notre Dame is. We broke this down in a previous show. The defensive line performance is a big reason you had the success that they had with the linebackers. And so to me, when you look at the play of the defensive line, they are a big reason for that. And so you're saying, well, well, how often do they get pressure just front with just the front four? That's not who Notre Dame is. That's not what they do. They don't do just four-man pressures. But again, look at the numbers. Look at the numbers this year. When you look at the pro football focus numbers, defensive line, Howard Cross, 39 pressures. It's a lot for a defensive tackle. Javante Jean-Baptiste, 38. Riley Mills, 32. So you have three guys on your defensive line that had over 30. If you look at the previous year, Notre Dame had only one guy on the entire team that had over 30 pressures, and that was Isaiah Foskey. This year, they had two guys that had more than him, and Riley Mills only had one, one less than him. If you look in 2021, same deal. You had three guys with over 30 in 2021, and then a big drop-off. You had Jason Adamiola, Myron Tungvaloa, and Isaiah Foskey, right? And that was against a much, much weaker schedule than what Notre Dame played in 2023. And so when you just look at it over the years, it's very obvious that this defense was a very disruptive group. We've all agreed, for example, I think most of us agree, that the 2018 defensive line was pretty darn good at getting after the quarterback. That year, they only had three guys that had over 30 pressures, and, and, and the defensive line had four guys over 20. And this year, this line was played that way. Very similar production numbers from the defensive line this year. And so to me, I, you did see consistency. You did see them play well in big games. You talk about third and 19 all you want. Now it's just like you're just saying things just to be argumentative because they were a three-man pressure in that play. Ramon Henderson does what he's supposed to do. Third and 19 turns into fourth and 19. So you can double down all you want, but there's the, the film shows it, the, the, the pressure show, all of it does it. So uh, to me, you, you are looking at a group that to me has ascended – each of the last couple of years. And when you have all the guys coming back that are coming back, it's hard for me to, to not look at this and say they are becoming what we thought they need to be. Now it's, can they take the next level? So you can look past into past years and punish this group for things that happened with players that were primarily not on the roster right now, or you can look at it and say, Hey, this is what we want to see. Now the question isn't, Oh, can they be consistent? Can they play well in big games? They already did all that. The question now is not that. The question now is, can they raise their level of play? And the Mark, the one thing that you did say that I that I would agree with is that is one thing I want to see is I do want to see them start to, to have years where they build, not the back and forth when they've seen in the past. That's a fair comment to make. Just overall big picture about Notre Dame, very fair. But I think with this group, to me, the question mark is more about can they take that next step and raise it? Then, Mark, when we get into next season and Howard Cross is gone and Riley Mills is gone and Jordan Patejo is gone and, and R.J. Oban is gone, then we can get into the, the, the conversation about has Notre Dame recruited well enough? Have they developed well enough? 
where you can kind of stay on that level even with the departures. That's what separates teams like Notre Dame from teams like Georgia, teams like Bama when they were in their peak, uh, teams like you know Ohio State back when they were just churning out big-time linemen after every year is when you when you lose your dudes – do you have a big step back or do you raise your level of play? And I think what we've seen from Notre Dame in past years is when they've lost their best players, there's been a bit of this. And so I think that's a fair question to ask in, in, to me next season. And, and that to me is where the, the conversation needs to be. But with this group, it's more about can they raise their level of play? Can they take it to that next level and really be that dominant, dominant group? And I think that's what we're going to see, uh, or I hope that we'll see from this group this season when you talk about the defensive line. Because the question we've asked with a lot of these positions, the final question is, is this position group a strength or a concern going into this offseason? And with this one, there is no, it's just, yes, it's a strength. There's no doubt about it. It's a strength. So that's going to do it for the defensive line breakdown. We're going to get into some recruiting stuff next. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with recruiting. When we get into the recruiting section, for those of you that are part of the live chat, this is going to be an interactive part. I want you all to put your thinking caps on and your evaluation caps on and answer these as I give them. In the past, I've done this show with one of my co-hosts, but now I kind of want to have some fun doing it with you guys. And so I'm going to have you all answer some of these questions as well and as I do in some superlatives. So we'll do that next. But before we do, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast if you've not already done so. Do me a favor, leave, please leave us a five-star review. I'd greatly appreciate that. And, of course, sign up for the message boards at boards.com.